Yeah, the biggest takeaway from uh, from our look across the ecosystem is that growth has slowed substantially. We're not seeing large leaps in adoption. We're not seeing expansion of use in many areas. And, and as a result, we sort of are offering some advice on how to to really reignite growth. And for a lot of the players in the space, whether they're a startup uh, in the robo world or whether um, they're one of the big players in digital payments, um, they're looking for new ways to invigorate that growth again. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. A new study from Escalant, a research consulting firm that's active in financial services, shows that growth is slowing across the digital financial ecosystem. It may be easy to wave this off, but for fintech firms, this can be extremely troubling. Startups that fail to consistently grow, frequently pivot away from their original market or product, or fade away into the ether. Chris Barnes, Chief Product Officer and Managing Director at Escalant, joins us on the podcast to discuss his firm's findings. Specifically, we discuss growth trends and trajectories in payments, robo-advisors on micro-investing, and cryptocurrencies. Chris also shares what he thinks fintech firms competing in these fields need to do to reinvigorate growth. Chris Barnes is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Chris Barnes. I'm the Chief Product Officer and the Managing Director for Financial Services at Escalant, a research consulting firm. And uh, we advise uh, uh, companies across the financial services sector on a variety of issues on marketing and uh, brand and sales. That's awesome. And, and I mean, we came across Escalant um, through your work with, with a lot of the, the, the majors, but um, you recently published some, some findings on uh, the digital f- fintech ecosystem. Um, can, can we just jump right in and start talking about that? What, what prompted the survey? What, was the, what were the questions you were asking beforehand? Yeah, so we've been monitoring the growth of the digital financial products for a long time, and we're really starting to see an ecosystem emerge where companies are trying more and more to connect various digital offerings, sometimes to their non-digital core services, uh, and other times across a series of digital services. And so we were looking at, is this a true ecosystem? How is it forming and how is it growing? Because we've been monitoring growth individually of each of these platforms, whether it's crypto or robo or the micro-investing uh, for a long time. And so we just wanted to bring them all together and look at that digital ecosystem. And what, what were some of the big takeaways from, from your work at the, your, your look at the, the ecosystem? Yeah, the biggest takeaway from, uh, from our look across the ecosystem is that growth has slowed substantially. We're not seeing large leaps in adoption. We're not seeing expansion of use in many areas. And, and as a result, we sort of are offering some advice on how to, to really reignite growth. And for a lot of the players in the space, whether they're a startup uh, in the robo world or whether um, they're one of the big players in digital payments, um, they're looking for new ways to invigorate that growth again. So before we get into the advice, I'm curious to, if we can, if you don't mind, if we drill a little bit further into the findings. Um, well, first of all, was it surprising to you to to find that growth had stalled to the extent that it had? Yeah, it was. You know, we had expected to see a continuous movement along the adoption curve, and we see some of these uh, specific products sort of in that danger zone along an adoption curve, right? If you don't get back 
past 16% usage uh, for a technology, it often stalls out and becomes something else or fails. In this case, I don't think we'd see failures across any of these categories, but we could see substantial transformation necessary to make them viable. Interesting. And, and can we talk about the way um, you define sort of this digital ecosystem? You didn't include all of fintech. There are some specific sectors here. So you have payments, right? Yep, which we look at in two ways. Uh, the mobile or digital payments, uh, your smartphone phone payments attached to a credit card, the peer-to-peer -peer payment method. So we look at those slightly differently. Um, the micro investors, the acorns of the world, uh, your robo-advisors, which we've been tracking since their emergence. Did, we did a lot of work on the beginning of robo-advice mm -hmm. uh, and cryptocurrencies. Those are our core pillars of the digital ecosystem right now. Interesting. I mean, the one thing that stands out to me that wasn't included, which, which we've written about a lot that is growing, at least abroad, um, are the challenger banks, these new digital banks. I mean, at least they, they claim really high-end, um, you know, top-line numbers, of million, you know, acquiring millions of customers a year at this point. Um, you didn't include the digital banks. Was that by design or what was the thinking there? So we view that not as a product so much as a change in services offered, i.e. no location services. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it's more a channel piece. That's mm -hmm. why we didn't include them in this. We've looked at them very carefully um, around issues of trust uh, and the adoption, right? Because it is a big change if we move away from banks, and particularly in the U.S., because it endangers um, a large number of small and regional banks. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I guess before before we go into the the three pillars of the the ecosystem, um, how I guess how do you think about the results from the survey vis-a-vis -vis what you know that's going on in sort of like the big money center banks? Like, is there are there two stories being told here, or is it a similar story? I think for the money center banks, this uh, finding sets up well because it buys them time, right? Mm. They're in a position where slower growth is fine with them because they can now manage a transition, uh, particularly uh, in ramping up technology and also deciding what they want to do with physical locations and which sectors they want to play in because they have the easiest time pulling all of these together. Um, Crypto being a little bit harder for them to deal with, but the other areas, uh, pretty easy for them to pull together um, under one roof. So this slowing gives them an advantage. Right. And I guess the media and, and consultants are a lot of times foment excitement about new technologies when in reality, they're, you know, the usage rates don't, at least in the beginning, don't keep up to, to where the hype is, right? Right. And that was never more true than with crypto, right? Yeah. Um, it got more hype than you could believe. You couldn't uh, avoid the hype. And so, um, you know, to see the fact that um, somebody like Facebook getting in is really going to try to alter crypto from an investment tool to use as a currency um, at a time when crypto adoption is so low uh, is really an interesting potential transformation. So let, let's get, uh, let's save crypto for the end. Um, so can we, can we jump into payments? You said there's, you looked at it from two different ways, from mobile payments, which includes the wallets and peer-to-peer and -peer payments. Why do you think that has stalled, even though there's so much conversation and new products being launched all the time? Yeah, I, I think you see um, consumer habits and, and personal uh, behavioral economic uh, 
movements that are a key barrier in the mobile and digital payments. The swipe. Also, credit cards work really well, right? (laughs) Right. They work really well. They just work really well. What's the net gain? Yeah. Right. We keep asking people, what's the differentiation? What's the upside to someone? Right. So they have to to make a, a change as a consumer. You have to think about what do I get and what do I risk? And so there's still some unknowns to particularly folks on the older uh, end of the age curve to, okay, well, how, how could this go wrong from a payment perspective off my smartphone when I have successfully conducted hundreds or thousands of transactions with this physical credit card? Well, something could go wrong that I don't know, and I don't even want to be bothered to think about it, so I'll just go back to my habit until my habit doesn't work anymore. So without that disruption or an obvious net benefit, you slow adoption. Hmm. Are there, and is this true across all products and on all, um, I guess, uh, companies and modalities? Or I guess, how, how granular is this, is this information about growth stalling in, uh, in payments? Yeah, so there are a couple of areas where we saw that there was some potential for, that things were going to keep moving at a decent rate. Uh, they were doing specific tasks. Uh, people really viewed, for example, uh, at higher expected rates that um, digital payments were really good for paying for things uh, at Walmart, at a specific mm-hmm. retailer, right, where it's a contained transaction and they don't have to think too much about the trust. Um, but other than that, yeah, it was it was across the board that this was stalled. And surprising um, stall in the younger generations, not just in uh the older generations. And when you see that generational effect, uh, you've got to worry about what's next. Apple's trying to solve for this, right? Um, They come out with a physical card that's not like the other cards because it's really designed to be a transition from the card to the payment ecosystem being on your phone completely. Um, But they're trying to solve for the fact that that benefit and that habit has been so hard to break. Interesting. And it's obviously too early to tell how Apple Card is, but there is a lot of hype obviously built up around around that. Um, so so let's move to to investing and the robos and 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 micro investing. Like these were some of the at least some of the bigger ones you mentioned were some of the first like generation one of fintech. And um, are these just companies maturing and now they've reached like sort of the the, the they they're beyond the early adopters now they got to go mass market. Is that part of the challenge here, marketing wise? That's part of the challenge. And right now with Robo, people are more likely to be nudged into it by the business than they are to go shopping for a new Robo account, particularly if they have you know, moderate sums, um, substantial to them, but moderate sums overall of money to invest. Um, they're getting more, more nudged into it by folks who have designed a, a system where if you're at Schwab or Fidelity, and you're a lower end user, they want to get you into an advice system, but they don't want to spend uh, at the advisor level to um, to have enough advisors because the margins on these lower end accounts are so slim. They mm-hmm. need you to be in robo. So they're more likely to nudge you into robo by um, changing the parameters of your accounts than you are to find people going out shopping to enter robo. Hmm. And, and so those big guys, the, the, as, you, as you said, the Schwabs, the Fidelis, and the Vanguards, um, once they launched their robo offerings, like those took off versus the pure play robos. Um, 
So, but but they have huge user bases. Why, why do you think why do you think that's stalling out? I mean, they still it seems they have millions of customers they can continue to market to. Yeah, it's another case of of consumer habits, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the pure plays like Betterment, they had to go back and start offering human connection to move mm-hmm. along right. the their adoption curve and increase uh, growth because when they had problems, people panicked a little bit about hey, who do I get a hold of? Who do I yell at here? Because that's a standard consumer habit, right? You want someone to yell at when, when your flight's canceled, when your transaction doesn't go through, when they, someone starts to disagree with, you want to be able to yell at someone. Um, and so the expanded user bases at Fidelity and Schwab, as I said, are, they're more, you're more likely to be nudged into uh, being a robo-user there than folks go shopping because uh, the folks who are, interested in that are already in. And that's why we saw over a two-year period, completely flat growth in adoption of robo-advisors. Wow. I mean, and it's interesting that the big guys are cannibalizing the lower end of their business, but I guess having somebody on a fee-based schedule is better than having a smaller client who's, who's never trading or anything like that. Um, what about the micro-investors? So can you first describe to the audience like what micro-investing is and then, and then sort of how growth is stalled there? I guess the evolution of the growth. Yeah, on, on the micro investing side, really, these are platforms that are offered for new savers. Um, and they work on, in many cases, behavioral economic principles that allow you to stash uh, a small amount of money by having so, something like a scraper that takes all your pennies and places them in. Or you can put small amounts like $50 in for uh, investment and savings um, and grow slowly over time. Um, the challenge with those platforms is they need to have significant adoption for folks who not only start with them, but will stay with them. Otherwise, they're really playing with a large number of very small amounts. They need someone who can uh, start their career as a 23-year-old, putting away $50, $100 a month, and grow into someone who's going to put substantial sums uh, 10 years later and stay with that platform. And I think one of the things we're going to see more of is the link between micro-investing and robo uh, grow as people try to find a transition platform so they can follow people from their initial stage of uh, savings or investing all the way through and offer them services that change over time. And I think that's where we'll see the ecosystem become more connected first. That makes a lot of sense. I want to get to that in a little bit, just because um, I think that's one of the big takeaways from the report is is sort of the, a lot of these services started as monoline offerings. And, and what we're starting to see is them branch out into ancillary products and services to help, uh, as you described, grow with their customers or, or, or even attract different types of customers. And what about the last pillar, the, the, the crypto? Um, you alluded to this earlier in the conversation. Obviously, we, we hit, you know, Hype City uh, at the end of 2018, right? Um, what was it 17 at this point? Um, and then, and then, you know, everybody, everybody, we felt like there was a revolution coming on with crypto and then, you know, it turned out, um, I think a lot of those numbers were manipulated too, in terms, at least in terms of crypto pricing, are, are people using crypto? Like, I mean, we hear announcements from investment firms that they're starting to accept it and things like that, but is anything really happening there? Yeah. The irony of crypto is the more it's used for what it was originally designed for, the less it's a great investment, right? And all the help 
all the hype um, and all the push was around the idea that this was a way to make a lot of money speculation. investing. And you yeah. saw, right, speculators like crazy. Those folks, as it behaves more like a tr currency, will get flushed out. What that means is you have to find users who find a net benefit from using a non-dollar currency. And the benefits are pretty small right now. Um, you'll see Facebook and its consortium trying to offer benefits, but if you step back and analyze it from a consumer's perspective, they're gonna have a hard time seeing what that benefit is, especially if it feels like it's trapping you in the Facebook uh, ecosystem, um, because people want to have freedom of choice even if they don't use it when it comes to money. They wanna know I can quickly exchange and move and do something differently. I can go to cash. Um, and, and that's a big barrier for Facebook or other of the thousand uh, cryptocurrencies to overcome as they start to trade as real currencies. Interesting. So, so in the remaining time that we have, Chris, can we, can we um, transition into talking about, um, I guess, how, how these, these firms can reinvigorate growth and, and find their path to success as, as these are growing companies and not get stuck in sort of that dangerous middle area? Yeah, first and foremost, companies really have to hammer home the actual benefit of using this digital tool. The phase where the fact that it was sexy and new um, attracted users is over across the board for these uh, digital to financial tools. So you have to really be pushing the reasons to believe and what the benefits are. And if you can't come up with a solid case of the benefit, <laughs> you're going to continue to see slow growth um, and may see folks fall away with the why bother effect. Right. But the, if the business can't voice the benefits, the customers probably struggle worse, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think they want to be moving towards greater differentiation. It's why the moves by Facebook and Apple are so interesting because they're, they're sort of occupying the space in between. Um, each of the areas they're trying to play in. And I think that's a tough space to play in. Unless they have solid transition plans to move people quickly, um, they could see those, those efforts really stall and not take off in any way close to the expectations. And, and are there examples you can point to, whether they're incumbents or, or, or just sort of, you know, next gen, next gen type offerings that are doing this right uh, in terms of, as you said, differentiating themselves, being able to explain the benefits. Are, are, are there standouts, I guess, that you can point to? I know we have to be careful because you're a consultant here, but. Yeah, you know, they're really not those breakaway successes. There are some standouts in the peer-to-peer -peer space um, where there's high adoption, but they don't have a place to go yet, right? They, the standouts on the payment side really want to get into holding people's money more, right? From an investment side, from a savings mm -hmm. side, and they're not there yet. So they're strong within the column, um, right? Venmo being uh, the, the real brand that people mention all the time, but they need to take another step so it's not just transaction processing. Um, if they really want to be a long-term solution because others can offer that speed and ease from a technology standpoint and they just need to move across the, the user base, but they have 
a, a step to go to solve holding money. That's why linking as an ecosystem for any of these uh, standouts is going to be key. They need to find the next thing to do to really become uh, the powerhouse. I, I think also you've got to look at the the big money center banks. This uh, this environment of slower growth um, is right right in their sweet spot, made perfectly for them to continue to slowly expand and give them time to make decisions on where they want to go in terms of each of these uh, areas. They have all ventured into uh, four out of the five, and they're still trying to figure out exactly how they deal with crypto um, and might like the fact that the government someday may make crypto harder uh, because they think they can play strongest in the other four areas. Interesting. And um, I guess one last question in the remaining time that we have, um, and I don't mean to put you against the wall, but like, are there other technologies that we're not, we didn't discuss right now that you're seeing like sort of, you know, coming down the pike um, that you're excited about that you think might have this ability to sort of reinvigorate growth in the industry or, or find a new um, sort of path to growth? I, I think the, um, the solution to this growth is coming. And I think the key piece uh, of it is going to be the use of AI to help people with their spending and savings habits, to really give them the feedback and advice to know when to save, when to spend, and when to move from savings to investing. That's what could connect these platforms. And right now, um, there are efforts in those areas, but it has not come up with the real strong, hey, this will give you the path. Because people will, if you can engender trust, they will engage in that way because they are unsure of those transitions. That's some of the hardest financial decision making the average person has to undertake. Um, and the tools that they have out there are really tough whether it's a financial calculator on how much you should save for your kids' uh, college to other types of moving from savings to investing. They're, they're rough tools. They offer as many problems as solutions. And I think deploying AI against those um, has real possibilities. Chris, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you.